Another Ute game is in the books. Simon! Noise kicks off for Bird. One yard deep in his head zone. Look out. Bird got the wheels. Bird a lane. Bird some real estate. Here he goes. Gonna be a standing estate. Touchdown, Jordan Bird. Flies in the end zone, 100 yards. One for eight in the game for the Aztecs on third down. Third and goal. Here's Bell. Full head of steam. Bell lunges. End zone. Touchdown, San Diego State. Greg Bell scores for the Aztecs. Huge play in this one defensively. First down. They'll feed Bell again. Bell. End zone. Touchdown, San Diego State. Back to back. He's in. And the Aztecs are on a roll here. Third and goal. Pass. Coming. Touchdown, Utah. Britton coming. Second touchdown of the game. And the Utes right back in it. 20 seconds left. Third and goal. Here's Rising. Steps up, throws in zone. Caught. Touchdown. Theo Howard's got it. And Utah scores. Now they need two to try to tie this game with 16 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. Going for two to tie it. Rising, some pressure. Rising end zone, caught! Solomon Enos has got it for two! And we're tied! 24-24 with 16 seconds left in the fourth. How about the Utes to the comeback tonight? Head fake instead. Johnson keeps. Johnson throws end zone. Caught, Rudolph, touchdown! Jay Rudolph has got it in the end zone. And San Diego State gets the first points overtime, make it 30-24. Cameron Rising faces pressure. Deep ball, end zone caught, Dixon! Jalen Dixon on the first play of overtime for Utah, touchdown. This from 37, Beretta. No good! Pushed it wide right to keep it 31 each. And now San Diego State just needs a field goal to win it. For the win. No good. Missed it wide to the right. He pulled it. And Utah still alive. San Diego State direct snap to Bell. Matthews throwing. Johnson ends on. He's got it. Little trickeration. And the quarterback, Johnson, has the catch. Philly special, baby. The two-quarter for San Diego State. Blessing end zone, O'Toole has got it! What a catch, Connor O'Toole, to tie it at 33. Woo, we've seen some sweet catches. Oh. oh, he got under it, he got under it. That was close. To review, the ruling on the field has been changed. Oh, to an incomplete it's pass. over! San Diego State wins in triple overtime. season a perfect 3-0 what a finish from Carson the clock is at zero and it's time to break down today's game this is your youth postgame show on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network
And we all start this season by scratching our heads and trying to figure out what's going on with the University of Utah. Another loss by the Utes. They start the season one and two with a 33-31 loss to the San Diego State Aztecs. Welcome in. It is your Utah postgame show, 97.5, 12 into the zone of the Zone Sports Network. I am Hans Olsen. You will hear from Frank Dolce and just checking back in the booth, and I'm going to I'm gonna tap my mic. We're, we're on, right, Lloyd? Test, I mean, test, we're, one, two, check on the mic. Yes, we are. We're going. Um, I know that you've got – You've got streaming numbers in front of you. Are you even showing a one? Is there even one on the stream? Maybe one, two, two, two. two. Okay, yep, two. two. So, hi to my mom and dad. Thanks for tuning in from Weezer. Idaho. Actually, three, and I think my family just tuned in. There you go. <laughs> Is that Jessica? Yeah, Jessica's on. What's the up, mama? Um, and you know, there's. I'm sure some people are in their cars, maybe a late night run for some Sunday grub, uh, getting ready for, for some type of smoke and deal on Sunday, whatever they're doing. Uh, I don't know how many people are tuning in to hear this post game. There might be some that are, are looking for some answers as to what happened to the university of Utah in this game. There were just a lot of shortcomings here, a lot of shortcomings. And th- there were also some great moments there in the back part of that game, some fantastic moments, um, where Utah started to pick up the blitz a little bit. I sent out a tweet. I think Brady Hoke and, and Lloyd, correct me if I'm wrong, on that, it was the final drive when Utah went in to score, to tie things. I'm I'm almost positive Brady Hoke brought a 14-man rush. I, I don't – like, I, I'm not sure. It just felt like there were four. He actually was part of the rush. <laughs> Brady Hoke's calling his own number. Yes, I'm he coming was on a delay. Sideline delay. Coach is coming in on a like Brady Hoke brought every single body he could possibly bring, and he threw a bunch of man on the outside. And Cameron Rising, who came into this game cold, threw some really good balls into those coverages. And it's just a night of question marks and head scratches and big plays and bad plays and I don't even know. Like the games like this, I always scratch my head and I think, all right, well, where do people want to start? Do you want to do you want to start with the miss the missed extra point and the missed field goal that that would have won it? Do you want to start with the quarterback being changed out? Charlie Brewer starts this game fourteen to twenty six. He goes for a hundred yards, and the next thing you know, here comes Cameron Rising to attempt to save the day. He ends up 19 of 32 for 153 yards. And then here's the mark, Lloyd, three touchdowns. Charlie Brewer had an interception that he threw. San Diego had a a fumble that they gave up. It was a weird back and forth, but this is the problem, okay? This is the – well, there's a a lot of problems. I'm sorry. I'm acting like this here is the problem. I've identified it. (laughs) And if they fix it, everything will be back on track. But this is a big problem, Lloyd. They were only able to rush for 70 yards against San Diego State. That's a total of 47 yards from Makai Bernard, 17 carries for 47 yards. He averaged 2.8 yards per carry. And then Cameron Rising had five rushes and nearly matched Makai Bernard's output, five carries for 46 yards. And, um, you know, I think it was very telling. Tavion Thomas did not get the carries, did not get the ball. He had one carry for zero yards. T.J. Pledger, three carries for minus two yards. 
Charlie Brewer was sacked multiple times and ended up with a uh, with a discount of 20 yards. It was really a rough night in the rushing category. And what did I say, Lloyd? I said that this team has got to get some rushing going, and they've got to be able to stop that San Diego State rush. Greg Bell ends up with 33 carries for 120 yards and two touchdowns. This team ran for 204 yards. Lucas Johnson, the backup quarterback, that had to come in and fill in for an injured uh, Brookshire, ended up rushing for nearly 90 yards himself. Eight carries, 90 yards. But he passed for a lot, though, right? Uh, Lucas Johnson, he was absolutely dynamite through the air. Ten, uh, let's see, that's that's right. Ten completions on, no, am I reading that? That is right. Ten completions on 19 attempts. But he had a lot of yardage. For a grand total of 444, wait, there's a, nope, 44. 44 yards through the air for Lucas Johnson. What? So that wasn't really even a threat. I I can't even make sense of the numbers that I'm looking at. Like, that's a a total of 248 yards of offense, and San Diego State ends up with 33 points. Now, I will remind everybody out there, San Diego State got things going with kick return. Uh, outside of the field goal, got things going with a kick return for a touchdown. Utah got things going with a punt return for a touchdown. It it started 10-10 in the first half of this game, and then San Diego State comes out of the gates with 14 points. Gets 14 points on the board. Uh, there was a there was an interception that led to a, a quick touchdown, and uh, the next thing you know, San Diego State grabs all the momentum. But this is this is weird because. I, I keep catching myself thinking I'm talking about a Utah win, but it's not a Utah win. It's a Utah loss. But, Lloyd, it, it's weird because the momentum at the end where Utah gets in and ties it up and then goes to overtime and then catches a two-point conversion to get themselves to overtime, and then and then they, they go down, they score the touchdown, and then they score the touchdown and they get the two-point conversion. And then you think they've got the two-point conversion to force a fourth OT and they go back and review the thing, and it touched the ground. Whew! I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm out of gas on this one. It's um, this is a daunting task to undertake to try to break this game down. Try cutting up these highlights. That's how crazy it was. I was like, wow, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah, Lloyd's in my ear. He's like, give me more time. I got I a lot of highlights, man. They just keep scoring. Yeah. I know. Was, that first half, so nobody could score. Like there was a yeah. there was a a barrier in front of the uh, you know in front of the end zone. But the, only in the second, special team holy cow! Uh, yeah, only, it was it was unbelievable. Teams. Yeah, uh, fourteen points scored in the third by San Diego State. Fourteen points scored in the fourth by Utah. Nine points scored in overtime by San Diego State, and seven points scored by Utah. And um, I'm just telling you right now, I am. I'm just scratching my head because there are a lot of things that Utah needs to fix. You, you know, Lloyd, you were hoping that they could get out of this game with a win and say, okay, all right, okay, we've got a lot to fix, but at least we're starting the season two and one, and we didn't lose two non-conference games, one to an independent and one to a Mount West Conference team. But that's just not the case. Um, this is going to be a really rough stretch for the University of Utah. Now, they'll get back on track against Washington State. Believe me, Washington State is not the team that you just watched in San Diego State. 
I agree, Washington. but I'll tell you what. You 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 don't want to lose to Washington State. That's for sure. You don't oh, want to go, no, be no, no, no. be uh, lose three straight with the, no. the final one being Washington State. No, you don't want to lose to Washington State. Uh, but Washington State lost to USC forty-five to fourteen today, and they had a fourteen-zero uh, lead. They had a, they were up fourteen-zero, weren't they? To start the game. To start the game, yeah, I believe they were. Uh, I, I think it. I know it was at least seven nothing. They might have put that second score up, but they end up losing forty-five to fourteen to USC, and Washington State has to come to Rice Eccles. You're right. We don't want to get out in front of ourselves. Oh, by the way, Jackson Dart. Getting the, uh, the the play time for USC, he ends up with 391 yards and four touchdowns through the air, Lloyd. Jackson Dart, yes, homegrown, Corner Canyon, Jackson Dart. Nope, he, he didn't stay in state. He went and played with USC, and he just put up nearly 400 yards through the air, 30 of 46 against Washington State. But we'll break that down a little bit later in the week. So Washington State, you know, you you should be able to to get off this ugly train here for a bit against Washington State, but Utah's got so many areas that they have got to fix, and it is going to start with that offensive line. And now they did figure out some things a little bit later, and it felt like Cameron Rising was recognizing blitz and and was thrown into that man coverage. But what we need to do is we need to – Take a quick look into the post-game presser. Here's Devin Lloyd at the podium. I'll go to Josh Newman. Devin, you you know you kind of answered my question already, but you know, what does it say about Cam that he can you know come in there cold in a game you guys are losing and just play the way that he did? Does it say something about you know the fact he's a veteran? Maybe he's got some swagger. Just what were you seeing out of him? Um, yeah, I saw his. Uh, maturity as far as being in the offense, you know, for three years now and just um, being a leader. Um, I mean, he's always been a gamer. He's been a baller, you know, from since he came here. And so he just put that on display right now. Any other questions for Devin? Josh Furlong? Yeah, Devin, for the most part, you guys held him in check all night. I mean, are you starting to feel like the pieces are coming together that, you know, maybe the secondary and, and you guys are linebackers in the front four are doing well? Where, where do you kind of assess that right now? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like the pieces, pieces have always been there. Last week, we, by no means, our best outing um, too many yards after contact. I already said that. But, you know, I, I have full faith that this is, you know, a very capable defense. You know, we have all the tools. And, um, you know, we just put that on display today. Um, but it's a matter of being consistent, you know, doing it every play, every game. We've got time for one more question for Devin if it's out there. All right, hearing none, Devin, I appreciate the time, and thank you so much. There you go, Devin Lloyd, of course. Um, Devin has a – he is a huge road to hoe right now. He has got to find a way to get his team back on track, and San Diego State was able to – find too many rushing yards in this game. Um, You know, Devin Lloyd has been the leading tackler in the first two games, and he's done a lot of things right. And it's, it's tough to, it's tough because when you're, when you feel like you're doing a lot of things right and you've got a lot of things going wrong around you, it can be extremely difficult as a leader of a team. To, to try to get a grasp on things. And the other thing that's really tough is Devin Lloyd can lead on the defensive side of the ball, 
but it's always taboo when a defender walks to the offensive side of the ball and says, come on, guys, we're doing all we can over here on the defensive side. Get a little bit of protection. I don't understand. Why are you guys letting everything leak through? You just can't do that as a, as a defensive leader. You've got to lead your defense, and you've got to let your offense find their leaders. And maybe they're finding it in Cameron Rising. This is a great opportunity to jump out to our phone line. Frank Dolce, of course, our Utah insider, does our pre- and post-game show with us. And, and Frank, wow, there's a lot to digest. And, Frank, um, and don't mind us, Kyle Whittingham is going to be coming to the podium here any minute. So if Kyle yeah. comes to the podium – We'll take a break, and then we'll, we'll get right back to this conversation. And, and Lloyd will keep us, us, us going whenever Kyle does step to the podium. But give us your initial thoughts. Actually, let me set this up for you, Frank, because I feel like I need to organize this because there's so much. Um, I want you to talk. Actually, you know what, Frank? Let's put this on hold. I want to hear from Kyle Whittingham. Here he is. Had a furious comeback there in the fourth quarter. We came up short, obviously. Uh, Concerning thing is, uh, you know, a lot of the same things that did us in last week and we haven't done so well through the first couple of weeks of the season showed up again tonight. Uh, let another kickoff return out the gate. Uh, you know, you shouldn't have two kickoff returns for touchdowns in 15 years, let alone two in three weeks. And so that, uh, that was very disappointing. Uh, couldn't get anything generated on offense. You know, it was two and a half quarters. We hadn't scored an offensive touchdown yet. So we got, got some issues there. I thought Cam Rising was a big bright spot. He came in and was poised. Got, t- got put in a tough spot. That's not an easy spot he got put in. And I thought he responded very well. And in fact, I thought the whole offense responded when he got in the game. And, and uh, just seemed to be a little bit of a uh, spark that he provided. And uh, we, you know, which is what enabled us to, uh, to make the comeback. Uh, some other special teams miscues. You know, we missed a PAT, which you know, I think we missed one all last season. It was 100% in the season before, I believe. Uh, missed a field goal. Uh, so a couple field goals. Is there a couple field goals? I keep looking at you, Jordan. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, we're not sharp enough as a football team right now. We're not polished enough. We, we practice the right way, you know, prepare the right way, but it's not translating onto game day uh, like it needs to. And so – I guess the, uh, if there is a, a bright spot is we're 0-0 in Pac-12 play and we start this week. But if we don't get better at a lot of things, um, we're going to continue to get the same results. And so we gotta, we got to fix our issues. That's on us as coaches. And it starts with me, obviously. And uh, got to find a way to uh, get us playing at maximum efficiency and, and maximum potential. That's, that's my job as the coach. And, and uh, so far through three games, haven't got it done. So got our work cut out for us as coaches this week. Questions? Coach, thank you for those remarks. We will get right into questions here. We'll start it off with Trevor Allen from KSL, followed by Josh Newman. Trevor, please go ahead. Kyle, I know I know it's raw, but uh, is, it, is it safe to say that Cam Rising's your uh, starting quarterback moving forward, or, or, or are you going to evaluate that throughout practice? We'll, we'll evaluate that uh, tomorrow in the film session, and we'll uh, – We'll most likely have a starter uh, on Monday. You know, I don't want to go the whole week debating on who's going to be the starter, so we'll evaluate the film, take a good hard look at uh, both the performances, and uh, make a decision on who we're going to go with. And, and uh, that's at this point in time, that's what uh, 
I'm thinking is how it's going to unfold. So uh, we may or may not announce who the starter is publicly, but we need to know that uh, early. And then to follow up on that, what was it about Cam that, that really gave that, that spark to the offense where everyone just started clicking? Well, he's a competitor. He's you know, taking away anything from Charlie because Charlie was, was a competitor as well. But Cam, Cam came in and, like I said, gave us that spark where, uh, you know, with his legs as well as with his arms, he ran for some big uh, big gains, uh, you know, running, running the football. And, and uh, he came in off the bench. And, you know, his first few passes might have been a little bit uh, errant, but uh, he settled in and, and uh, did a great job once he got uh, in a rhythm. And he got into a rhythm very quickly. Go to Josh Newman from the Tribune, followed by Josh Furlong from KSL. Newman, Kyle, was it the was it the pick that that Charlie threw that led you to make that change, or had you been maybe thinking about that before that pick? Well, we only had uh, I think ninety yards at halftime, and uh, had no scores, offensive scores. We had the punt return, obviously, but but no touchdowns offensively, and. And we needed a spark. We were looking for something. And, and we got an excellent quarterback in Cam Rising, who's the number two guy. And why not give him a shot? He's worked hard in practice as hard as anybody else. He's prepared himself the right way. I had no doubt in my mind that he was ready to play because uh, that's the type of kid he is. And I thought, given the circumstances, he deserved that opportunity. Kyle, just a quick follow-up. You know, you bring in Charlie in January, right? He goes through spring. You were happy with it. He wins a quarterback competition. Are you at all, I don't know, maybe uh, disheartened that it has gotten to this point so early in the season that you felt compelled to go away from Charlie? Well, Cam wasn't able to participate in spring, so that put him a little bit behind the eight ball from the get-go. But he had an outstanding fall camp, and as I was talking all fall camp, it was so close, it was tough to, uh, tough to call and too tough to call until the very end. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're not – I'm not saying we're giving up on Charlie Brewer. I'm just saying that we got to get the guy <coughs> – excuse me – in there that's – and give us the best chance to win. And, and our job as coaches is to evaluate that film tomorrow and make that tough decision because it's, it's not going to be an easy one. But uh, the bottom line is who gives us the best chance to win? That is ultimately what it all boils down to. Go to Furlong, followed by Sam Farnsworth from KSL. <clears throat> yeah, Kyle, obviously you talked about the offensive line being pushed around last week. It seemed a little bit, at least especially in those first three quarters, the same way today. Is that maybe a little reason why Cam gives you a little bit more experience and kind of how would you assess that whole situation? Well, we didn't run the football very well tonight at all. Uh, we uh, got beat, beat up pretty good by their defensive front seven. Uh, well under 100 yards rushing, which is not us. That's not us at all. They're very committed to the run. They ran for over 200 yards, but it didn't really uh, have the impact that like, like last week's run game, it just wasn't, it wasn't as impactful. We were able to keep things in, in check. Uh, one of the most disappointing things in the whole game is how we came out in the second half. You know, we got there ready to go. We had, had a great uh, halftime uh, session and adjustments and thought we had things settled and, you know, gave up two touchdowns right out of the gate. And that was, that was uh, very disheartening. But as disheartening as that was, it was that encouraging to watch them uh, come back in the fourth quarter and, and do some of the things they did. Go to Sam Farnsworth, followed by P.K. Kinahan. Uh, Coach, uh, talk, uh, I'm sorry, Brenton Covey's night tonight uh, played very well on special teams and on offense as well. What a, can, can you hear me, Coach? Sorry. 
I, I'm hearing about every second or third word. That just, just, a bit? Yeah, just a little bit about Britton Covey's night and how well he played for you on, on special teams and offense. Yeah, Britton Covey's a weapon for us. You saw what he can do in the punt. We know what he can do in the punt return game. That's no secret. We're no surprise. That's what he's been doing his whole career here. I got to believe he's, he's leading the nation in punt returns now. Uh, we'll find out. But, but uh, he's got to be uh, right at or near the top. Uh, he's a heck of a slot receiver. And uh, we need to continue to find ways to get him the ball. Still don't think he's touching enough. Uh, I think he needs a dozen touches minimum every single game. And I think we, my math is right. I think we fell short of that tonight. Let's go to PK, followed by Cole Bagley. When you look at the film and decide who's going to be your starting quarterback, how much were you taking into consideration how the teammates on offense respond to whatever it is, who was me, whoever it is that you decide on being the starting quarterback? Well, that's a big part of it. And, uh, you know, the great ones in any sport, any team sport, make their teammates around them better. And that's, uh, that's something that is definitely in the equation. And uh, like I said, we'll watch the film and see what kind of reaction we're getting from everybody you know, on the offense. And, and uh, I know it was fairly positive because of the results and the results were positive, but uh, that's certainly uh, something you consider. It's not the only thing. It may not be the absolute most important thing, but it's very important. Go to Cole Bagley. Coach, after these three games, is there anything in particular that you feel like you really need to, to change or to fix going into conference play? We need to play more efficiently on offense. That that is the number one issue we got right now. You know, our defense they held what they had less than three hundred yards tonight. San Diego State did. And so now one thing we're not doing defensively is we're not creating takeaways. We only had one tonight, and that's not enough. We got to get more pressure on the cornerback. We got to take the ball away more. But as far as just numbers, uh, our numbers are actually pretty good tonight. You know, as far as the, the total yardage. But uh, offensively, we got to get the thing shored up. We got to get, we got to be able to. What, what you saw in the last quarter uh, is, is what we have to be for the entire game. We got to have rhythm. We got to have explosiveness in the offense, and that's what we were in that fourth quarter, most of the fourth quarter. Got time for one more new minutes yours. Kyle, are you able to say what happened um, with Vianney uh, on that play? Uh, it's a it's a lower body injury. He's at the hospital right now. Um, it's, we're hoping it's one of those things that obviously is, is very painful and, and uh, you know, in the moment, very, very discomforting, but we're hoping that it's something that uh, is not a long-term uh, healing process. And so that, that's as good as I can tell you right now. Uh, I just know he's in a lot of pain, but uh, we're going to just, you know, hope, you know, pray and hope that uh, something that he can recover from rather quickly. We'll know a whole lot more tomorrow morning. Coach, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for the time. There you go, Kyle Whittingham. Great uh, comments right there from Kyle. And the one that we really want to emphasize is he said, I'm not saying we're giving up on Charlie Brewer, but we have to go with the guy that gives us the best chance to win. Frank Dolce, former Utah uh, quarterback, uh, the best color analyst on that Utah broadcast. He's joining us now just to give us some help on – uh, what to think of this game, but but Frank, I really want to start specifically. You saw that the change was made. Was it the right move to bench Charlie Brewer for Cameron Rising? And what do you expect going forward with the 
starting quarterback at the University of Utah. Yeah, it's the right move. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard move to make because you invest a lot of time and effort in preparing guys. And and Brewer is a like he's a, he's a heads up guy, and he's a team guy. He's not about himself, and and he's a good leader. Uh, and he's calm. I mean, he's calm on the field. He, he gives he gives you some confidence. He just he just wasn't able to perform, and so all of those other things are really good. But the one, you know, the one critical thing is you have to be productive, and he just wasn't finding that rhythm. He wasn't be, being productive, and so uh, you need a spark. You're, you you know, on, on the offensive side, it, it falls on the quarterback. You're, you know, your running game isn't as productive as you need it to be either. So that's something to consider as well. So you, you got to find that productivity. And, and uh, Cam Rising is a guy that has lots of tools, including, um, you know, maybe a little more athleticism than, than Brewer in terms of utilizing his legs. And I think we saw that in this game to, to create productivity. Uh, and so I, to, to personally, I, I don't know that there's uh, a quarterback controversy like I, I think that Rising did enough. He showed enough in this game. The team responded to him enough that, uh, and I don't think the film will show any different. That I I would weigh the starting position heavily in Rising's favor at this point, and 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 then you go with him. Uh, you you prepare him as the starter next week. I, I think that you, you have a couple week sample. You have well, you know three-week sample size of Charlie Brewer. And uh, I think after those three weeks, you say, we need more productivity out of that position. And you got that productivity for at least a half tonight. And, uh, and, and by the way, that battle was very close coming out of camp. I mean, you could have, you could have picked one of those guys to start. It just happened to be Brewer. So to me, I don't think there's a, a quarterback controversy. I think the, the move was made tonight and that's the right move going forward well there's a couple of things that when i'm watching quarterback play there's a couple of things that always stand out to me and one of them is how does that quarterback make the offensive line look and you noticed frank when cameron rising came in all of a sudden the o-line didn't look as bad it's not like they cleaned things up and they were perfect but when you see Cameron Rising throwing into a twist blitz, and, and by the way, I did post one quick video. It was the touchdown that tied things up at the end of regulation, and it was a five-man rush. They, uh, they did a smoke, uh, smoke coverage with the defensive line where they, they, they just took a step and two defensive linemen dropped back, and then they ran a twist stunt with the two middle linebackers and Cameron Rising saw the pressure, he saw the man coverage, and he threw a dart over the top for a beautiful touchdown to to get them to a point where they could get the two-point conversion because of a missed kick and tie that thing up and get it in overtime. So I like when I see a quarterback, Charlie Brewer made the offensive line look terrible. Well, the offensive line was terrible, and Charlie Brewer took a lot of punishment. Cameron Rising came in, made them look a little better. They just didn't look as bad. And I got to say, Cameron Rising did a lot of that work. But 
I also feel like the offensive line picked up a little bit better in the back end of that fourth quarter. So those are a couple things I look for for the offensive line. But this is what I want to know from you, Frank. So a quarterback in a given blitz, all right, and you saw Brady Hoke. He's bringing five, and he's even bringing seven. He is bringing mm-hmm. everything he can. A quarterback in a given blitz, let's say it's a seven-man pressure, and you know your routes. Do you, do you have a good idea of, first and foremost, the seven-man rush, and secondly, where I have to go because I don't have time. I got to get rid of this because there are quarterbacks that break the blitz. Uh, Charlie Brewer did it against Weber State. Multiple times. Yeah. He, he hit his drop-off point and broke the blitz. But um, do you, as a quarterback, have indicators and have a responsibility when the blitz presents? Yeah, there, there's no question. I mean, unless unless Brady Hoke did something completely different tonight that hadn't been on film, because that's all, that's all film work and preparation heading into a game. To, you have to find those keys because it, it's, you know, there's, there's very few people, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's very few people who can manage a seven-man blitz on the fly. It's the reason why your guy was so successful. and Because he's, he wasn't very athletic, but Peyton Manning, I, I swear he knew when the blitz was coming before the defense called it. And then he could, he could get rid of the football because if he, was, if he relied on his athleticism, he would have been sacked, you know, ten times a game. But – but you couldn't blitz him because he was so efficient at breaking it, and and so uh, that you know the thing that separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks are those things: being able to perform under pressure, being able to diagnose what's happening on the defensive side, and under the face of intense pressure, like a seven-man rush, dumping the ball to the right people, even if you don't complete it. The, the thought for a defensive coordinator when he sees a quarterback manage that appropriately and get the ball off to the right guy, even if it's not completed, that makes him think twice about sending that blitz again because you know you're just laying your defensive backfield out for a big play. So uh, it, it, it's just something that hasn't been managed well in two weeks. And if, for a passing game to survive in this day and age – you just have to be able to to produce under that type of pressure. And like you said, and I agree with you, uh, Cam Rising seemed to manage those situations more efficiently uh, against San Diego State. Well, and Frank, you know, a quarterback really does control, oftentimes control how an offensive line looks. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's one of those things quarterbacks don't like to let that secret out. Uh, but but there are times when an offensive line looks bad because they're chasing people around or they're holding or, or they get called for things. And that's because, you know, it, you have an indecisive quarterback, quarterback who didn't make a, a proper read or started scrambling around. And then all of a sudden, when you're supposed to hold on to a guy for a couple seconds, you're trying to hold on to a guy for five or six seconds, and then you're at a complete disadvantage. And, and so, you know, a mistake by the quarterback, uh, even though the quarterback may come out looking pretty good on it, w- turns into, a, uh, you know, a bad look for an offensive line. And, uh, and, and so um, when you're indecisive, Utah suffered through that with, with, you know, past guys. When you're indecisive at that position, 
when you're making bad reads at that position, when you hold on to the ball, the ball too long at that position, you know, what, what maybe a slight mistake on the offensive line turns into, it just magnifies that mistake. And uh, I, you know, with, with, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody on it, but maybe that's something that's occurred because you and I have talked about an offensive line that hasn't looked like they performed very well in, in a, in a couple weeks now. That's Frank Dolce hanging out with us. Uh, Frank, is there any way you'd hang with us through a break and come back and give us yeah. one more uh, short segment? Absolutely, of course. I'd love to. Okay. I just got a few questions, and, and nobody breaks it down better than you. I've got a few questions with the running back situation, only able to muster up 70 yards rushing in this 70 game. 70 yards. Makai yeah. Bernard, 17 for 47 yards, a 2.8-yard per carry average. We need to talk a little bit about the running backs and and start to start to ask the question: Do they do they have one? And also uh, take a look at that offensive line blocking in run blocking, not just pass blocking, but in run blocking, because there were a lot of guys in the backfield making it difficult for Utah to get the handoff, let alone get a yard mm-hmm. or two. It was it was a long. Night, Utah fans, I know that you're reeling. I know you feel a little bit upside down, but stick with us. Frank Dolce is going to help you understand what's going on in this game. That's all coming up next in your Utah postgame. Cameron rising. Faces pressure. Deep ball. Enzo caught. Dixon. Jalen Dixon on the first play of overtime for Utah. Touchdown. This from 37. Brett. No good! Pushed it wide right to keep it 31 each. And now San Diego State just needs a field goal to win it. For the win. No good! Missed it wide to the right. He pulled it. And Utah still San Diego State direct snap to Bell. Matthews throwing. Johnson ends up. He's got it! Little trickeration and the quarterback Johnson has the catch. Philly special, baby. The two-pointer for San Diego State. end zone. O'Toole has got it. What a catch, Connor O'Toole. To tie it at 33. Woo, we've seen some sweet catches. Oh, oh he got under it. He got under it. That was close. To review, the ruling on the field has been changed. Oh, to an incomplete it's half. over. San Diego State wins in triple overtime. 33-31. Aztecs start the season. A perfect 3-0. What a finish from Carson. What an incredible finish to this University of Utah game. It goes final, and Utah loses to San Diego State. Frank Dolce hanging out with us. Frank, what did you see in this run game? What happened with Makai Bernard? And that, so, so Utah has to be able to live with a running game. I mean that, and and I, and I'd like to talk about the run game on both sides. And we talked about it in the pregame, but Utah is a football team that is just going to have to run the ball for 150 yards a game. I mean, I just think that's the foundation of this football team, and and I believe they have the talent in the backfield. I think we've seen um, Bernard 
Thomas. I, I mean, I think we've seen those guys demonstrate the ability to do that. It's it's really hard to get going when you are put off track behind the line of scrimmage. And so I, I'm going to lean on you a little bit here. I don't know exactly what's happening up front. If there's, if there's miscommunication or, um, or if they're just getting, if, you know, if we're just getting beaten up front or, or if it's this thing that Utah faced a week ago with mental errors, but, you got to get your guy downhill to 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 pick up the to pick up yardage. I mean, you're just not going to have any any great success if you're if you're rattled behind the line of scrimmage. And and you know, I I like the guys they have this year. There's no there's no doubt there's talent, but but there's I you know I don't know that there's a Zach Moss in the backfield. I mean, I don't know if there's a there's a there's a guy like that. That's just a, you know, an unstoppable force in the backfield this year. I think there's good guys in the backfield this year, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's a, you know, the tied that loss of Ty Jordan, man, that's that's super meaningful for this football team. So I don't know. You tell me what's happening up front. Well, I saw uh, there there were a couple of different plays I saw. They they were blitzing like crazy, and that blitz was timed well. And you know that Brady Hoke is going to have his defense uh, revved up and timed in the blitz, and he's going to be aggressive. They, they they blitz so often that they're very efficient, very clean in the mm-hmm. blitz. And mm-hmm. so the blitzing was coming in, and what I saw – actually, I saw this twice, and uh, – you know, Frank, the game of football's tough. I mean, let's just, you and I be honest. We've played enough of it. We've covered enough of it. It's really tough to analyze because because I could sit here and break down 12 different plays that went wrong, and in all 12 plays, it was somebody else that had a problem. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing right now with this offensive line. But I am going to give you two instances that I did see. And it was just a simple backside block. It's the backside block. I saw it twice. San Diego State was what they call <clears throat> they call knifing the A gap. Which means sorry, excuse me. Which means that they're lining up either head up on the guard or in a three tech on, on the guard or outside the guard shoulder. Mm-hmm. And on the snap they're taking a giant step with their if they're a right D tackle, a giant step with their left foot into the A gap, and all they're doing is rip ripping and trying to slice. They just call it knife in the A gap, and they're trying to slice that A gap and get penetration as far as they can into the backfield. And I saw it work on two different running occasions which made the running back just stutter for a second and then the outside blitz hit them both times. So Mm-hmm. That's that's a backside cut, and so people say, "All right, all right, well that happened. Now what do you do to fix it?" Well, you do a couple things. Number one, I felt like San Diego State was jumping the count because when you see a knife get that much penetration, that tells you a defensive tackle is getting off the ball before the offensive guard is getting off the ball. So mm-hmm. you can change up count to try to help a little bit and get those defenders to sit back just a touch. And then the only other thing you can do as a guard is anticipate the count and try to beat him to the mark. Because if they knife, if they take that giant left step 
and I take my my just base scoop step on the backside to try to root that D tackle out of that A gap and not allow penetration. If I take that step first and catch him in the middle of that long left stride, I'm going to be able to turn him and get my mm-hmm. back to the hole. But that defender was beating the backside guard across his face and into the A-gap and getting that penetration. So I saw that a couple of times, and that's a problem because it was making that <clears throat> it was making that running back, as you mentioned, just shift off that track for a second and allowing those blitzing backers then to, to converge, whether it was through the A-gap or off the outside. So that so these are the, the little problems. I mean, those are just two that I saw that – you know, are kind of a, an, an early explanation of it. But I know, Frank, as you know, things go much deeper than I can see. And and until you go back and watch each play 11 times or 15 times, because sometimes it takes me six or seven rewinds to figure out what one guy on the offensive line is trying to do. You remember doing film review, Frank, mm-hmm. and it was rewind, play, rewind, play. <laughs> and when I'm when I'm trying to under, truly understand the depth of offensive line play, it's 25, 30 rewinds. Trying to figure out, well, yeah. I don't understand, where, where is his step? Why did he sit, take such a short jab step on the backside? Well, I don't understand. Why did that guard just leave the combo so early on the center? Because it, that that tackle was penetrating. You got to stay on that on that that defensive tackle. Why did you leave for the combo block? There's there's a a million different things that are going wrong with this offensive line, and it's called popcorn problems, Frank. You've seen it, man. They pop all over the the field, and that's happening right now with this Utah offensive line. And and really, the, the Utah okay. This is another thing we got to talk about. So you got Bakai Bernard back there, and you've got you've got some issues in running backs picking up blitzes too. Yeah, uh, th- this happened yeah. against BYU multiple times. You saw him get on the edge, and linebackers were just ripping right through him, and he was giving zero resistance on blitz pickup. Yeah, that's one of the other things, hands that I'm talking about is you don't have that back Zach Moss. I mean, he, he took pride in picking up in, in pass protection. Uh, Devontae Booker, I mean, th- those guys took pride in, in, in stoning a, a lineman or a blitzing linebacker before he could get to the quarterback. And, and that's just part of, of Utah football is that guy, you know, you have to have that guy to step up and, and do that. So that's what I mean is there's just, and 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 without that guy, and by the way, these are I, I like these guys, but but they're, they're, I'm talking about next level guys, Zach Moss and Devonte, and and and, yeah. and when you don't have that, um, when you don't have that, it, that that makes it that makes it tough on your whole offensive game plan because all of a sudden a guy like that can can make up for some deficiencies, um, on the offensive side. And maybe Utah isn't getting that benefit right now. Well, that's that is one thing I've seen, and uh, you know, <clears throat> you want to roll Tavian Thomas out there, but he's had ball control issues, and he only got one carry, Frank, for zero yards. I and, know. And then you're like, well, maybe we'll try T.J. Pledger. He had three carries for minus two yards, and then you're like, well, maybe we'll try Curry and. You know, Curry is not somebody that they've rolled out and, and really given any opportunity to. So, 
I think that there is an issue with who the running back is. And, and so there might be some people that are like, well, you can't question Makai's heart. And Makai did have some good yardage against BYU. You're, you're right in those assessments, but there are things outside of just carrying the ball that you've got to do. And I'm not seeing those things from those backs. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I do think that you've got a couple of tight ends that are much more interested in getting in route than, than they are helping in blocking. And I, I've, I've got to be careful with that. I'm not going to specify who. And I need to go back and watch because I didn't specifically see a tight end give up a big block or or not put enough on a chip or, you know, where where an offensive tackle felt like he was going to have some outside help from that tight end and he just vacates. I didn't see that specifically, even though I could guess that there was probably a little bit of that going on. But yeah. <clears throat> pretty brutal, pretty brutal. Seven, only 70 yards rushing, and, and 46 yards of that came from your backup quarterback. Right. Really, I mean, only more, carries. More than half of your yardage is yeah. your quarterback yeah. comes in in the second half. Yep. Pick that up. Yep. So, I, you know, it's so, it's so crazy because you look at these numbers in this, in this football game, and Utah kind of wins the number battle. I mean, San Diego State only threw the ball for 44 yards. They were they were barely 50% completions. I mean, that that's not a winning that's not a winning effort throw, throwing the football, but there is a I have a big concern because Utah gave up over 200 yards on the ground. That's this is what we talked about before the game is you know, San Diego State's going to want to run the ball and you're you're going up against Utah who says no you're not going to run the ball against us we don't let people run the ball and 204 yards later um you you're kind of scratching your head what is going on uh at the defense with the defensive front for Utah that's just that's too much yardage on the ground so let's see i'm trying to get through end of OT two plays. I'm trying to get through. Um, so uh, one point that Lloyd brought up that we that we need to take a little bit better look at here, Frank. Um, only 44 yards through the air for Arizona State, and you go into overtime, and you would think that that's when Utah's defense would step up. You would think yeah. that's when Devin Lloyd and Mika Tafua and you you would think that's their bread and butter. You wouldn't think that San Diego State was just going to march and get Mm-mm. touchdown and touchdown and then a two-point conversion. Yeah. And I'm just looking here in overtime, um, and I'm, I'm trying to find the – play-by-play for for San Diego State because only 44 yards passing, but I, I want to say like like 19 of that was in overtime. Only 44 yards passing for San Diego State. And I, and, uh, I think it was like 19 yards of that came in overtime for, for, for San Diego State. Well, but I think I can't, that's right. I can't find I the think numbers. That's... I think that's right. But, but Frank, talk about Utah's defense giving up the points in, in overtime. I don't know. That's what I mean. It's just there are some things that are happening right now that are so uncharacteristic of a, of a Utah football team. I mean, it's not to say that this is a team that 
never allows a hundred yard rusher and, you know, doesn't make mistakes. That's just, um, that, you know, that would just be silly, but, but this is generally a team that makes it very difficult to run the football. Um, and so San Diego state comes up with 204 yards four four and a half yards a carry. That doesn't sound like a Utah, you know, that doesn't sound like a Utah football effort on the defensive side. Uh, getting into overtime. I, I really thought once Utah hit overtime, like they fought back and fought back. I thought the game was over. I just thought there was no question Utah was going to figure it out. They had, they had climbed and scratched and clawed their way back. And then, you know, all of a sudden, what in the world? San Diego State's kind of scoring and, and, and moving the ball around and, and then, and then you know, Utah has a couple special teams, like three big special teams mistakes in the game, uncharacteristic. That's what I mean. There are things that are happening that are uncharacteristic of Utah football. We're not dominating at the line of scrimmage and creating gaps in the run game. And so Utah is managing managing the run game. Yeah, that's not happening right now. Uh, I don't think Utah going to ha- is going to win a lot of games if they have to rely on the passing game. I just don't think that's, yeah. that's their character. Uh, Utah giving up big yardage um, in in the run game on the defensive side, uh, making get, getting pushed around a little bit at the line of scrimmage on the defensive side. That's just uncharacteristic for Utah football. B- big, huge mistakes in special teams. That is completely uncharacteristic. Those are things we haven't, we just don't expect out of a Utah football team. And so although I think there are some encouraging things to come out of this game, like one is I like the fight, okay? You, you figure out a way to get yourself back into that game. Cam Rising comes off the bench, and he gives that – he provides that spark. The team rallies around him. Um, so there's encouragement, but, but there's a lot of things that still need to be cleaned up to get to, to what we expect and I'm, and I, you know, what we expect, what coach Whittingham expects out of this football program. And at this point, uh, this is, I mean, I I'm very soft on how Utah comes out of this football season. Like to me, this is, this is a, a 500 team right now. And I don't think they have 500 talent. I mean, I think they have better talent than that, but they're playing like, a 500 team. Um, <clears throat> last thing, Frank. Uh, so I'm putting together, I'm just sending out a tweet right now, and I said it's wild to think that Utah has given up two kick returns for touchdowns in the first three games, and they've missed extra points, and the punting isn't where I'm used to seeing the Utah punting. Like, special teams has been – Horrible. Outside of Britton Covey's pump returns, they have been terrible. They've they've been it's it's been rough. It's been rough to to witness that. Um, Britton Covey's been fantastic. <laughs> that guy is he's a, he's electric. Uh, but 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 oh man, that just those well. You have a you have an all Pac-12 kicker who's struggling. You know that just that that's weird for Utah football. And and then uh, the lack of coverage 
on the on in the kicking game. That's just like I said earlier, it's uncharacteristic wow. um, for for this team. And and so you know they're okay. Now time's up. You know you go one and two in your non-conference schedule, and now you're in the Pac-12. This week, Pac-12 play starts, and uh, if you don't think these teams in the Pac-12 are going to watch this Utah football team and smell a little blood in the water, then you're dead wrong. Um, mm-hmm. This this is a football team that I mean, <laughs> this is this team that's got to circle the wagons. I kind of like you know Utah playing the underdog role. I think where the, that's where they fit a lot of the time. Well, they're they're certainly coming in now in that role, and uh, and by the way, you know a lot of faith in Coach Whittingham. He certainly has a history of pulling his team together, um, but this far into a season, we just haven't seen this this type of performance on, in, in the Whittingham regime. Yeah. Well, Frank, we've kept you way too long, man. I, I appreciate you jumping on. I just wanted to uh, – I thought between a quarterback and, a, and an offensive lineman that was a defensive lineman, I mean, I've done a little bit of both. I thought maybe we could help make sense of some of this. So I, I do appreciate you checking in with us. Absolutely, man. Hey, uh, the stuff that you do is is the best. I mean, you, you give a perspective and an insight into a football game that I think it makes – you know, people who kind of come out of there questioning what's happening, it kind of gives it a little basis and a little foundation. I know it, it helps me understand the game better. So I uh, really appreciate talking to you and, and working through it. Sometimes it just helps me to talk to you after a game so I can work, <laughs> so I can work through it and feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I certainly think there's light for this Utah football team, and they're going to have to – there's hard work ahead. Hard work ahead for sure, man. And, and you know, maybe, uh, Frank, if maybe Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to have you jump on with Scotty and I because we, we do need to get into Andy Ludwig just a little bit. We didn't do that. And maybe dig a little bit deeper. And I will have done some – I'm I'm going to spend more time on this game because I, I need to figure out what the heck this offensive line is doing collectively. But I appreciate it, Frank, and we will be talking to you soon, brother. All right, my man. We'll talk soon. You can call me anytime next week. All right, sounds good. There you go. Frank Dolce, former Utah quarterback, uh, fantastic color analyst. Uh, he was the best they've ever had on that Utah broadcast, and we are lucky to have him on the pre- and post-game show here on 97.5-12 of the zone. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, and uh, we've got a few more points that we need to hit in this Utah-San Diego State game. If you're just tuning in, Utah loses to the San Diego State Aztecs 33-31 to in triple overtime. We'll talk more about this game coming up next. When you look at the film and decide who's going to be your starting quarterback, how much will you take into consideration how the teammates on offense respond to whatever it is, who, excuse me, whoever it is that you decide on being the starting quarterback? Well, that's a big part of it. And, uh, you know, the great ones in any sport, any team sport, make their teammates around them better. And that's, uh, that's something that is definitely in the equation. And uh, like I said, we'll watch the film and see what kind of reaction we're getting from everybody, you know, on the offense. And, and uh, I know it was fairly positive because of the results. And the results were positive. But uh, that's certainly uh, something that you consider. It's not the only thing. It may not be the absolute most important thing, but it's very important. 
Cowingham in the post game, talking about this Utah loss to San Diego State, thirty-three to thirty-one. A lot of frustrating moments in this game, and I, I'm sure there are a lot of frustrated Utah fans out there trying to figure out where so many things went wrong in this game. But you know, Utah ends up throwing a pick coming out in the third quarter. They end up throwing a pick that ends up in a pretty quick touchdown for San Diego State off a really nice five-yard run. Um, They gave up a kick return for a touchdown. I'm still trying to internalize what's going on with Utah special teams. They've always been so consistent. Um, The first five drives, the first five offensive possessions ended up in a punt. Now, on that fifth one, there was an offsides that on the the actual punt that gave them a first down and extended the drive, but they they actually punted on the first five offensive series. It was really difficult, I'm sure, for Utah fans to watch out there. You know, there there were stupid things, a quarterback center exchange, just really simple things that you can't have three games into the season. Against the Mount West Conference team, well, those a good snaps Mount West were getting team. away from those snaps were getting away from Nick Ford like all all game uh, all game long. Hands <laughs> like like the, I mean I mean uh, Cam Rising or not Cam Rising, but uh, Charlie Brewer was having to jump all over the place, which all which throws away the timing. I know we've talked about this; it throws the timing off, and so sure. it's a real struggle. It is, it is, and 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 a lot of that's on on Nick Ford and some of the the the. Some of the other, you know, the other exchanges, those might go back to Charlie Brewer, but I did see that ball being sprayed around. And some of that, Lloyd, goes back to Nick Ford's trying to identify Brady Hoke's uh, different blitzes and schemes and shifts. And, you know, he's, he's trying to look at where the sit, where the, where the middle linebacker is and declare, and he's got things going on. And then he's trying to remember the snap count. And then he fires that thing back there and, and it's all over the place. But, then they had a false start. Remember that they had a false start after I believe it was uh, a first down, and then they get a false start and push it to first and fifteen. And it's this is not Kyle Whittingham football, and I think that that's the toughest thing for Utah fans to deal with right now. This isn't what they're used to, and they've there's a bit of spoiling that's been going on for some years where you know you're going to get great trench play. You know you're going to out-tough a team at the minimum. You know that you're going to get good run play, and you're going to have running backs that fight through tackles and get extra yards. Like There are things that you've come to expect. You know that in the third phase of the game, you know special teams, that you can count on your special teams at the University of Utah. And right now, Lloyd, the frustrating thing, thing I think for all Utah fans is you can't trust any of it, none of it. You can't trust your offensive line. You can't trust your defensive line. You can't trust your special teams. They can't trust anybody. Now, the, the fact the fact that Utah's offense, uh, offensively, anyways, that they're they're they've been now this is now the second game, and I can't remember exactly with Weber State. Maybe they, maybe they deal with this uh, this a little bit too. Then, but this is now the second straight game where they've been third and seven. And worse has was has been where they've they've been behind, like and that's just not a, that's not a Utah team that tells you they they're not able to run the ball. We're used to Utah teams that are able to be you know third and three third you know third and two those manageable type downs and you're not seeing that right now, which tells me they're not they're not they're not able to run the ball at all. Yeah, well that was absolutely the case in this game. Uh, Makai Bernard seventeen carries forty seven yards and we saw 
multiple carries end up behind the line of scrimmage. And I'm sure extremely frustrating for that University of Utah offense. San Diego State ended up with three sacks in this game. They ended up with eight TFLs. And Lloyd, this is, and I know San Diego State wasn't set in pockets, but Utah ends up with just one sack in this game. Uh, Mika Tafua had a sack, I think it was in the second quarter, came off the edge off of a, a scramble and was able to corral Lucas Johnson. But uh, it is it, it has just been a, a really ugly start to the – it has been a really ugly start to the season for the University of Utah. Uh, outside of the three sacks, there were seven more hits on the quarterback from San Diego State defenders and big hits. There was one safety blitz that came right through the gut on Charlie Brewer. Not only did it come through the gut of the offensive line, it went right through the gut of Charlie Brewer. Looked painful. He was taking a lot of big hits. Cam Rising was taking a lot of big hits. Uh, He was trying to get out and make a little yardage with his feet, and he was taking some big shots. So some some real head scratchers here, and I'm sure University of Utah fans, I'm sure that you're reeling a bit. I'm sure that you're disgusted with areas, and rightfully so. I know that you've come to expect more from Utah, and Kyle Whittingham expects more from his staff, and he expects more from his team. I, uh, Lloyd, has Kyle Whittingham lost two out-of-conference games since taking over the head coaching duty duties as the University of Utah at the University of Utah? I don't believe so. In the same season? In the same season. Has he lost? Maybe when they were in maybe when they were in the Mountain West, maybe. That might could have happened. I don't think so though. Now I, I gotta go look. It's that's just a, I don't a, I don't I don't think so. I, like I off the top imagine. of my head, I don't think. Off the top of my head, I don't think so, but you know, I. But maybe I'm maybe I'm missing a year. Uh, let's see. We'll go back. 2019. Uh, he he beats BYU, Northern Illinois, Idaho State. 2018. He beat Weber State, Northern Illinois, and BYU. 2017. He beat. I've got your answer. 2006 was the last time he. Uh, well, it might that might be the last time it did happen that year because they lost to UCLA uh, in 2006 and they lost to uh, number 22 Boise State 36 to three. So, do, are you thinking it's 2006? Uh, that could be the last time. I'm going to go through this real quick, but I think so. Well, let's see. So, 2007, yeah, 2007 lost to two out of no uh, Air Force was a conference opponent. He lost to Oregon State, beat UCLA, and lost to BYU. So 2007, lost to two. But I don't think since being in the Pac-12, I don't think he's lost to two. No. And and so this is this new territory. But uh, this is just another added factor to why I think Utah fans are probably scrambling because this doesn't make sense to me let alone a Utah fan that's looking at this like, wait a second, Kyle Whittingham doesn't lose to out-of-conference opponents, let alone Mount West Conference opponents. Well, Utah, the thing is that I think probably has Utah fans a little mad, mad right, uh, a little maddened right now is is the fact that that Kyle loved, said what he did about this team, saying this is the best team he's had since 2019. And yeah. when fans yeah. hear that, 
they're expecting a special season. And they went into these games thinking this year is a special season. We might not get to the college football playoff, but we're going to be in contention. And they still are. They're still in contention for, you know, a Pac-12, a Pac-12 title. But they hear that. And but to be 0-2 and to go back and think about what he, you know, what, what Kyle Whittingham said in August and fans are here and they're like, wow, we're 0-2 uh, yeah. in, in, at a conference. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty painful, I'm sure, for them as well. Um, you know, I get a lot of feedback of people saying, well, I thought you said Charlie Brewer was going to be this, this, and this. Look, I, I, it's not like I can sit out there for two hours in camp anymore. I can't sit out there. They, they give you like a 10-minute viewing period, and a lot of those are cut short. And most of those, they just kind of throw you a bone and – it's it's lame plays. So yeah, I mean, you to- had national media members saying the exact same thing. We had Wilner on here saying that. You, we had Brian Fisher thought the same thing. We've had you know several national guys say that Charlie Brewer is the, is the real deal, and he still could he still good could be. Obviously, pressure is not his thing, but he still could be. You know. I, I'm, I'm not, he's not an NFL quarterback, but I think he's a good college quarterback. I just I'm not quite sure what the issue was. Well, or but, is. That's, but that's the point, though. Like I can't. I it, there was not a lot to gauge Charlie off of, right. other than the Weber State game, where he was beating the blitz and he was he was dropping the ball off. I, I I've got multiple highlights up on my Twitter that showed him break the blitz against Weber State and throw into the blitz and and hit his hots. And hit his drop-offs. He did it multiple times. Weber State brought the same type of heat that we've seen from San Diego State and from BYU, but Charlie Brewer was thrown into the heat and completing. And and then the only thing I got outside of that, I went back to 2018 and watched Baylor Max protect and watched Charlie Brewer drop dimes. So that that's really the sample size we've got of Charlie Brewer. So when you're like, well, Hans said that Charlie Brewer was this, that. Well, yeah, out of Weber State, he looked really good. Out of the blitz. I asked Kyle Whittingham postgame. I said, what did Charlie Brewer look like? He said, he looked really good in the blitz. He was good in read react in the blitz. And then all of a sudden, it just falls flat on its face. It's like these blitzes are getting to him. He's getting scrambled. He's throwing the ball loose. He's throwing. He's now throwing two picks in, in three games. And he's been benched. And, yeah, I do expect Cameron Rising to be your starting quarterback moving forward. I think I think that's exactly what we're going to see is Cameron Rising being your starting quarterback as they move into Pac-12 play for the University of Utah. Uh, Scott Gerard, Lloyd Cole, and myself will continue to break this game down tomorrow on the morning after podcast. Remember, you can dial that thing up. It typically posts about 9.30 or so, and it's going to be a solid recap. Scotty will give us a look into the Utah State win over Air Force tonight. Uh, we'll take a deeper look into this Utah loss to San Diego State. And we'll also give you some BYU-Arizona State thoughts as well in that morning after podcast. Big thanks to Frank Dolce. Big thanks to, uh, obviously, the uh, Zoom, Zoom coordination and the sound that we're able to get from Kyle Whittingham. Huge thank you to Lloyd Cole back there. I know he was running around with his head cut off trying to get the highlights as they were wrapping up regulation and then the three overtimes. <laughs> and by the way, the three overtimes were bizarre in and of themselves, just absolutely bizarre. Um, but uh, big thanks to everybody that made the Utah pre- and post-game 
so successful. Uh, Utah's got to get themselves back on track. Washington State at Rice-Eccles Stadium coming up next weekend. We'll get you ready for that as well. That'll all be coming up right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This has been your Utah postgame show.